What's up, New Hope? Welcome to the final installment of Living in the Age of Rage. As you can tell, we have an amazing backdrop setting today. And I just wanna go ahead and say on the front end, you might hear some helicopters or airplanes or ambulances or fire trucks. We're just gonna keep right on rolling and I just want to welcome you today. My name is Benji. I get the awesome privilege of serving this movement as pastor and just so thankful that you are here today. This is a big day. It's a big day for two reasons. First of all, as we've been saying, we back. Uh, New Hope Church is back today, full throttle. I'm talking about Hopetown Children's Ministry, New Hope Student Ministry, of course, adult worship, first contact, all of those things. And if this is your first Sunday being back in a while, welcome home. We are thrilled that you are here with us. If you're still at home and you're online and you're joining us, you are very much a part of our family. So welcome, we're glad you're here. The second reason this is a very momentous occasion is because we are on the Sunday prior to the presidential election of 2020. And as I've been saying lately, church, listen, it doesn't matter if it's November 1st today or November 3rd on Tuesday or November 4th, 5th, 6th, December, January, 2021 and beyond. Here's what I've been saying. Listen, Jesus is king. And it doesn't matter who wins the presidential election. That will not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we pledge our allegiance to him and him alone. But nonetheless, we've been talking about some very important matters here in the United States of America. We talked to you a little bit about the White House. It's the official home for the United States president, and it was designed by Irish-born architect James Hoban in the 1790s. Rebuilt after a British attack in 1814, the president's house evolved with the personal touches of its residents and accommodated such technological changes as the installation of electricity. The building underwent major structural changes in the early 1900s under Teddy Roosevelt, who also officially established the White House moniker, and again under Harry Truman after World War II. Counting the Oval Office and the Rose Garden among its famous features, it remains the only private residence of a head of state open free of charge to the public. Not long after the inauguration of President George Washington in 1789, plans to rebuild an official president's house in a federal district along the Potomac River took shape. A contest to find a builder produced a winning design from an Irish-born architect by the name of James Hoban. The cornerstone was laid in October 13, 1792, and over the next eight years, a construction team comprised of both enslaved and freed African-Americans and European immigrants built the Aquia Creek sandstone structure. It was coated with lime-based whitewash in 1798, producing a color that gave rise to its famous nickname. Built at a cost of $232,000, the two-story house was not quite completed when John and Abigail Adams became the first residents on November 1, 1800. Thomas Jefferson added his own personal touches upon moving in a few months later, 
having transformed the building into a more suitable representation of a leader's home, Jefferson held the first inaugural open house in 1805 and also opened its doors for public tours and receptions on New Year's Day and the 4th of July. A final major overhaul took place after Harry Truman entered office in 1945. The Trumans helped redesign most of the state rooms and decorate the second and third floors, and the president proudly displayed the results during a televised tour of the completed White House in 1952. The White House today holds 142 rooms on six floors, the floor space totaling approximately 55,000 square feet, the White House reflects a nation's history through the accumulated collections of its residing presidents and serves as a worldwide symbol of the American Republic. And with this kind of backdrop today, church, we should always remember to pray for the administration, regardless of what administration is residing there, because they need our prayers. New Hope, welcome to Living in the age of rage. Last Sunday, just by way of a quick review, I laid out four foundations on which Christ followers stand during times of contentious politics. Civility, dignity, humility, and unity. I wanna encourage you to keep walking or keep living on those foundations over the course of the next few days and even all the days of our lives. If you missed that message last week, go back and check it out at newhopechurch.org or at our YouTube channel and subscribe and check it out. Today, as I shared with you last week, I wanna lay out three planks, if you will, three planks in a platform on which we can stand as we think about politics. And if you will take these planks to heart and, and if you will stand with me as we live in these times that try to throw us off, if we will stand on these planks, I believe God will guide you to not only vote, but act and live as a Christ follower. So let's get started with these three planks today. Here's the first one. Straddle a paradox, straddle a paradox. And the truth is church, we don't like paradox. We don't like tension. We like things clear cut. We like things black and white. But the truth is that is not the way this world is. And the truth is the Bible is okay with paradoxes and we need to learn to be as well. The Bible is absolutely filled with paradoxes. Jesus was always living in the realm of mystery and paradox. And sometimes we have to live in the midst of mystery and paradox as well. And this is especially true when it comes to Christians living in the 21st century in a post-Christendom era we have to warm up to this idea of tension and paradoxes. And no doubt we are living that now. Let me share with you what I mean. On the one hand, as Christians, we are called to submit to the government. 
to respect it, to obey it, to follow it, and be the best citizens we can possibly be. To which some of you would say, give me a verse, pastor. Here you go. Romans 13, one and three. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Verse two. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Paul would continue. Look at verse four. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. He also goes on to say, pay taxes and respect those in authority. And here in America, come on church, let's just think about it. Here in America, we can be especially grateful because we have a democratic society. We still live in a land where we can lift high the name of Jesus. We can still go to church in freedom and we can still worship God. Look around the world and you will see just how blessed we are to have that. But here comes the paradox, check it out. We are to submit to government, but never at the expense of respecting and honoring God. Our supreme duty and passion is to give God glory, to honor God with no compromise and the state must never override the principles of our faith. So the first plank of this platform, when you look at the scripture, is to straddle the paradox. Here's the second one, embrace a principle. Jot it in, if you're online, type it into the chats. Embrace a principle. Now, I'm just going to mention this principle ever so quickly because I think I've probably mentioned it every Sunday in this series, but it is that important. It's not a new one. It goes way back. Some attribute this to a guy by the name of St. Augustine in the fourth century. So the Catholics like it, (laughs) but Augustine probably never said it as I think about the research. John Wesley And the Methodists used to say it all the time, but they didn't make it up. It actually came from a guy by the name of Peter Murderlin. He was a Lutheran, Peter Murderlin, who sometimes went by his Latin name, Rupertus Maldinius, which is far more exciting if you ask me. Anywho, Rupertus Maldinius in the 17th century said it, but a lot of people recognized it as an expression of biblical truth. Again, I've covered it almost every week, but I'm gonna say it one more time, and here's the principle. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. Hey, why don't you say that with me at all of the campuses, and those of you online, just say it out loud. Ready? Go. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty, in all things, love. Isn't that great? It's an incredibly important principle. Let it soak in. It's key. It's key to navigating these tricky times where Christians 
good Christians on multiple sides differ and agree on many different things, and it helps us keep the unity. Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer in John's gospel that we would be unified. And as our country becomes more and more divided, let us remember that the Bible says that a divided house cannot stand. And so as the world gets more and more divided and that house starts to crumble, I believe they will look more and more to the church for what it looks like to have unity and truly love one another. The questions we have to ask ourselves are all about, is this particular issue an essential issue or not? And I would dare submit to you that most of these issues are not essential. In the scriptures, the most essential issues always have to come down to, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus and what has he done for us? How can a person be saved? Is there a heaven and is there a hell? And do real people go there? Those are essential matters. But most of this other stuff, we can just agree to disagree without being disagreeable. The truth is Jesus's people are not held together by political affiliation. And this church will never drive people apart by those political affiliations either. Again, no political party and no one person has 100% of the corner on God's truth. Here's the third plank, and then we're just gonna gather around as a church and pray for this election and pray for our nation. Live with perspective. That's the third and final plank that I would encourage us to build our platform on as we move towards Tuesday. Have you guys ever been a part of a corn maze experience? Ever been to one of these walk through corn mazes? There's actually a great one out near Garner. You walk through these high rows of corn and you meander around for the longest time and it's this big confusing maze. Eventually, if you persist, you find your way out. Let me show you a picture. There's an amazing one that I recently learned about in Southern Maryland. Here's what it looks like from the ground. That's what they could see, rows of tall corn. But the unique thing about this corn maze is once you make your way through and you come out of it, they are waiting there with a helicopter and they'll take you up so that you can see from a God's eye perspective, if you will. Here's a picture of what that very same corn maze looks like from the sky. It actually reads blue crabs and ravens. From the ground, it just looked like a confusing corn maze, but from a better perspective, from up high, it's obviously something that had great order to it, great care and great concern. And you know, church, that's exactly the way it's going to be for us someday. When we look back on the confusing details and the contentious election of 2020, it all appears very confusing now. But one day, maybe not until we get to heaven, we will see that the confusion of the economy, the confusion of the coronavirus, unemployment, 
housing, terrorism, unfriendly nations, all of these things are confusing now, but one day we will see them clearly. In fact, Paul would say in the New Testament, we see through a glass dimly now, but one day we will see clearly. The Bible says this in Isaiah 55, eight and nine, and I love these few verses. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, says the Lord. We don't see everything clearly now, but God does. And while things might be confusing and even troubling to us today, we need to know that God is still on his throne and he still holds the world in the palm of his hand. So we pray, we seek the Lord, we remember these three planks and we pray as we go to the ballot box and we cast our vote. But let me tell you something, church, when we go home, if you know Christ, you can put your head on the pillow and know that your hope and your faith and your trust and your peace does not come from a political candidate, but it comes from a crucified Lord and Savior who died for you and holds your future in the palm of his hand. And one day we will see clearly what all of this means. Hey, I wanna end with one final verse of scripture and then we can just pray together for our nation. Some trust in chariots, the Bible says, and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. You know, that puts it fully into perspective, does it not? So let's just take a deep breath on this Sunday before election day. Let's trust God. Let's thank him that this world and these little K kingdoms are not our home, we are heaven bound so we can praise his holy name and we can trust him today and we can trust him Tuesday and we can trust him always. How you doing? Like seriously. How's everybody doing? How's your anxiety levels? Hi, thank you for your honesty. That was, that's what I figured. Anxiety, stress. What I want to do in this moment uh, today is I want to um, just take us before the throne in prayer. And I want to invite you to, to, to really pray. I know sometimes, I mean, the truth is very few people feel like they, they pray enough, me included. All right, let me just be honest with you. Uh, most of us don't, don't pray enough. But it's times like this where I think there's great power when we as a church humble ourselves and really go before the throne of God and, and seek his face. Because even though I've, I've, I've shared today already in the message and might say it again in the prayer or as we wrap up today, the truth is we are about something far greater than American politics. And it's easy to lose sight of that. 
We pledge our ultimate allegiance not to an American democracy, not to a flag, not to Donald Trump or Joe Biden. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you feel this way. I mean, don't mishear me. I'm not an anti-allegiance guy. I'm not an anti-flag guy. But every time I stand and I put my hand over my heart and I declare the pledge of allegiance, I always say in my spirit, it's almost like I whisper it to God, God, you have my ultimate allegiance. Amen? And that's, that's really good news. Because this little cake kingdom that we're all wrapped up in right now will cause the anxiety and the stress level to go up. But if I can do anything today, what I want to do is gather us at all of the campuses and I want us to pray maybe like we've never prayed before. Because even though I keep referring to these things as little K kingdom compared to the capital K kingdom, I must tell you I worry deeply about America. We've lost our way. And the Bible says a house divided against itself will not stand. So while the message a few weeks ago, you might recall, was titled The Divided States of America, not United States of America. I worry greatly about this nation. And the reason this nation seems to be slipping away from us is because we're forgetting about God. And what has made America great, you can go back and study church history and American history. What has made America great has been the Christians in America lifting high Jesus and living for him. And the more and more our nation slips away from that, the more and more we should be concerned for America. So I want us to pray. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, and I'm just crazy enough to believe it, if my people... Great verse for you to put in memory, by the way. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, this is key, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So I want you to pray with me today. And I'm, I'm gonna do a little something to keep you from falling asleep. Like, because I wanna, I wanna be up here for a minute. We're going to go a little high church. And we, we, if you're new around here, by the way, welcome. But, but we aren't high church. But we're going, to, we're going to do a little high church stuff. I'm going to lead us through a series of prayers. And when I say, Lord, in your mercy, you say, hear our prayers. Can you do that? It'll just help you from, you know, nodding off. Or it'll help you from trying to figure out where you're going to have lunch. And all that good stuff. There is a time for a little dialogical liturgy, if you will. You ready? Let's try it. Lord, in your mercy. Look at you bunch of high church people. Let's pray. And let's, let's really pray. You can pray with me and, and in agreement with me if the Spirit leads you while I'm praying to veer you off and you start praying something else. That's fine. Totally trust you. This is between you and God. This is a church at all of our campuses humbling ourselves and really doing our part. At the end of the day, all we can really do is pray and trust God. So let's go, let's go get that today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for times like this when we as a church can really 
just strip it all away, humble ourselves and, and pray. Father, you tell us in Revelation 7, 9 that after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count. Multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Sovereign God, in your word you say that you not only long for individuals to come to you, but you long for all of creation to give glory and honor to you. Every kind, whether defined by government, tribe, clan, or language, to bow before you in obedience and humility. God, we want you to know today that, that we declare our ultimate allegiance to you. And if you've never told the Lord that, you ought to tell him that right now. Say, Lord, you get my ultimate allegiance. God, as we prepare to vote, many of us have already voted in this 2020 presidential election for the highest office in our land. We ask, oh God, that we would be a nation under you. The Bible says that judgment should start with the house of the Lord. And so, Father, we want to humble ourselves and confess to you that we have sinned against you in many ways, individually and as a nation. And God, we come before you today in repentance and humility, desiring your will for our country. Now here's your part, Lord in your mercy. Father, the Bible tells us to select capable men, capable women from all people, people who fear you and trust you and hate dishonest gain, Exodus 18, 21. So Lord, we, we pray for the rulers and governing officials. We know that you are high and exalted and God, we ask that you move among the leadership of our country. May our leaders at every level, Lord, and I know this is a big prayer request, would they honor you? Would they fear you? Would they serve you? God, I pray for them as I often pray for my children. Do whatever you need to do to bring them to utter dependence even if it means brokenness, Father, so that they turn over their lives fully to you and know that the authority that they have has been given by you. Lord, in your mercy. Beloved, the Bible says in Psalm 33, 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Holy God, all the earth is filled with your glory, your beauty, and your majesty. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness, Psalm 45, 7. May Americans wake up, oh God, and earnestly desire righteousness and justice. Justice for all. And may we walk humbly before you, God, honoring your ways. God, I pray for New Hope Church that you would stir up inside of us a hunger for righteousness in our nation. Let each of us, God, determine to seek you and your righteousness. Lord, in your mercy.
James 1.5 tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, then let him or her ask of God who gives to all men generously. God, you are the fountain of true wisdom. And we proclaim you as father and creator, God. The one who nullifies the counsel of the nations and whose counsel stands forever. God, there are many complex and difficult decisions facing our leaders. God, there are many complex and difficult decisions facing pastors all over this land. God, we pray for leadership. We pray that you would teach us how to depend upon you for wisdom and direction and solutions. Teach us to do your will. Lord, in your mercy. Psalm 34, 14 says, depart from evil. Do good, seek peace and pursue it. Father, I want to thank you today personally that you are merciful, kind, and slow to anger, the Bible says. And yet you hate evil and every injustice. God, would you cause us to to live in all of your holiness. We pray for the elected officials. But God, we also pray that you would keep them from corruption and greed and the misuse of power. Help them in their weakness. Deliver them from evil. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we would be remiss if we didn't pray for the church in the midst of all of this. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, I urge you with petitions and thanksgivings to be made on my behalf for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Thank you, God, that you hear and turn your ears towards us as 2 Chronicles 7, 14 promises. We thank you for your great faithfulness. Thank you that we've been called apart as a community of faith for unity. Father, may we continue to see the unique calling that you have on the life and ministry of New Hope Church. That we could stand in the midst of chaos and a world that is raging. We can rise up as peaceable people who have been marked, saved, forgiven, redeemed, for your purposes in the world. Continue to bless this church, God, the leaders, the world changers, the staff, those who visit us. May they find in us, oh God, a counter-cultural community of people who have been redeemed and in the process of being sanctified for your holiness and your purposes in the world. Lord, in your mercy, James 1.13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. God, thank you that your mercies are great. The Bible says that your mercies are new every day. Thank you that in your son, Jesus Christ, mercy has come to earth once and for all. We are dependent upon your kindness and your compassion. In many ways, God, we deserve judgment. I know I do. We acknowledge that our lives and our nation are in your hands. 
And we are keenly aware, God, of how desperate our need is for you. God, we've worshiped other gods, little g gods, and we confess that to you. This is a nation absorbed with materialism, pleasure, self-gratification, and self-sufficiency have become our way of life. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive your body, the church of Jesus Christ. We humble ourselves before you. We ask for your mercy. Mercy on our church and mercy on our nation. We ask, oh God, that your kingdom would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, that reminds me of of the prayer that you taught the disciples to pray when they came to you, God, probably in a moment like this one. Sometimes we don't even know how to pray. We don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray. When they came to you that day, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And for 2,000 years now, God, your followers have gathered. and They've prayed that prayer out loud together, the one that you taught us saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.